When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Lays it up for Freeman and it's incomplete. Or did he make the catch at the 15? What are they going to roll? Did he caught it? He did what? I never would have expected that we would start a Purple Daily show with reckless speculation about a potential broadcaster trade, but here we are in early March. That's where we are. This is life for us. Matthew Collar, Rami Maklov in for the first half hour here. Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus to talk about his latest mock and what he learned at the NFL Combine. We also catch up with uh, Jeff Rieger from Detroit to discuss what is going on with the Lions. And uh, Judd Zolged will be in. Got Rieger on the at, show today? Uh, 3.30. Yeah. yeah. I know you had Rieger yeah. on the show. Yeah. Love yeah. Jeff be, Rieger. Uh, talking a little. My former co-workers. Did you know that? Rieger and I used to be I, co-workers. I did not know that. Yes. Um, anyway. Sorry. So let's talk about this potential <laughs> broadcast trade. Get me on the show, man. Right. There should be no surprise. Uh, it wasn't my decision. Uh, so, <laughs> but let's let's start off with this report from Andrew Marchand, who seems to be really dialed in with ESPN. He writes for the New York Post, and he wrote today about the potential for ESPN to trade for or somehow acquire Ale Michaels and attempt to pair him with Peyton Manning on the Monday Night Football booth. And and as wild and crazy as that sounds, and they also apparently approached Philip Rivers um, because Joe Testator and Booger McFarlane were not really up to the par that they want to be at. And it feels like it's been a really long time since anyone has figured it out when it's come to Monday Night Football. Rami, I don't remember a time in my life since the original... Ale Michaels and Frank Gifford and, and Dan mm-hmm. Deardorff. I don't remember a time where I felt like they really had it. They really nailed it. It was must-see TV. And I know people didn't love Gruden. I liked Gruden. I liked the Tariko Gruden booth. But Gruden and... Yeah, Tariko and Gruden were good. But then it was Sean McDonough. That's right. And that didn't go particularly well because those two didn't seem to get along. McDonough seemed to want to do it straight up, and Gruden seemed to want to mess around more often and be super supremely football and be the star of the show, and I'm not sure that really fit with McDonough. He said something after they moved him out of that position like, uh, yeah, I'd rather do college football anyway. So his enthusiasm for it maybe wasn't super high. They've just never been able to resolve this problem with the booth. And as much money is going to be paid into the NFL in the next TV deal, 
ESPN would be wise to get it figured out because a point that you made on the previous show was that on Monday night, you compete with a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. On Sunday, it's everything is cleared out for football. Every other station that doesn't have football is just some vegetable chopper or whatever. I consider, you know. I consider myself a big football fan, but Monday and Thursday, like if if I don't have fantasy implications, if it's not a team I care about for my work or, mm-hmm. or my fandom, or if I just if there's something better on TV, I might not watch Monday Night Football. I think improving the product on Monday Night Football, making it something more appealing to people, mm-hmm. makes a much bigger difference than it would on a Sunday and, and having Tony Romo in the booth, because I was going to sit there and watch football on Sunday no matter what. And I think we've even seen the impact with the popularity of Sunday Night Football, that when you and I were growing up, Sunday Night Football might have been on TNT or ESPN had it for a little while, and it was an afterthought. They would put... You know the Bengals on Sunday Night Football, mm-hmm. and you, you know, you'd wake up and maybe check the newspaper. You might get the score on what happened, and it just didn't really matter a whole lot. And now Sunday Night Football is a huge deal, and it's taken a lot of the limelight away from Monday Night Football. I'm sure, for as much as ESPN pays, they would want to get it back. My question to you is: Do you want an Ale Michaels, Peyton Manning dream booth? Like, is this something you are rooting for? Is it something you don't care that much about? Do you have a better idea of a dream booth? What is your takeaway on this potential move from ESPN? Al Michaels is a legend. I don't need to tell you how good Al Michaels is at his job, and he's better than Joe Tessitore. So that would be an upgrade at the play-by-play announcer position. And obviously, almost anybody would be an upgrade over Booger McFarland in the analyst chair. No, I think he's good in a studio. Booger McFarland doing football while it happens Bad combination. And I think he even said, like, the hard thing about doing football live is it's happening in real time. Like, yes, dude, that's the <laughs> that, most bugger thing is very that true. you've ever said. So I think anybody would be an improvement on Booger McFarland, but I really, I've, and I've been saying this for a while now, I think Peyton Manning would be a hit in a booth somewhere. He brings everything that I want from an analyst in the sense that if you watch his spotlight videos that he does for ESPN Plus where he's breaking down plays and really football-y football stuff, he has a way, and not a lot of people can do this, and I love when guys do this, of making the most football thing like that only a professional would know, a coach or a player or somebody who's actually been in that world could actually really understand. He makes it digestible and understandable for the layman who's just sitting at home watching the game and wants to know a little bit more about football, wants to be a little bit more informed about what's what's in front of their eyes. He is really, really good at that. And on top of it, He's a funny dude and has like that southern aw shucks charm to him. Like, yep. he's, I, I really think Peyton Manning would be a hit in a booth. And obviously, I'm not alone because people have been throwing money at him to try and get him to, to join some announcer team since he retired. I think, I think he would be an absolute home run A plus color analyst for ESPN or whoever lands him. I do wonder what the trade better than Tony would... Romo. You think so? That he would yes. be better than Romo? Yes. Romo is debated by some people. There are some people who are analysts in the industry, uh, especially former quarterbacks, who think a lot of people could do that. They tell us not to do what Tony Romo is doing, but everybody seems to like it. He brings a special energy enthusiasm. Manning would probably be a little more 
by the letter for how they wanted him to do it, where Romo just does whatever he wants. And, of course, that's not going to change with $180 million over 10 years thrown at, at Tony Romo. I don't mind it. I, I like his enthusiasm for it. I like that he's always pointing things out that you might not catch um, really football-y football things. And there clearly is a thirst for more detail in the game. Mm-hmm. Where I would wonder is us pumping up Manning with our idea of how good he might be versus how it might actually work out. Because a lot of people try this, and the game, when you're watching it on TV or you're sitting in the press box, it doesn't move super fast. But when you're trying to broadcast the game, things do move quickly because you got to get to this, to this, to this, to this. That's true. Him happens. doing those spotlight things, it shows that, that skill that he has that I was talking about, but doing it in real time, just ask Booger McFarlane, <laughs> yes. is, is much more challenging. Yeah. Right, it is. So I, th- I think he would be he would be really good but I wonder if in our minds we're just pumping him up a little too much because he was really good on Saturday Night Live and he is good in in those ESPN Plus things. If you hadn't seen him, then go check him out. And he does have a really good sense of humor and so forth. But I also wonder if Manning would want the commitment that it takes to be on TV because someone like Chris Collinsworth was retired already for a while and he wasn't a bazillionaire athlete before he retired and decided to make this his thing and dove full into it. And I, I know from talking with the pro football focus guys that he puts an incredible amount of effort into each and every broadcast to know everything there is to know. And I'm not saying Manning wouldn't try because he's got a long career that shows that he's very, I don't think he takes that job and doesn't take it seriously. I wonder if he wants it though, because if you made as much money as him, do you want a job that's legitimately stressful? If you're John Gruden, in part, you were doing it to wait till the best offer came your way right. to go back into the NFL. If you're Peyton Manning, especially if you're not as good as people thought, then you're just going to get throttled all the time by people on Twitter and and, and so forth. I mean, oh, can you imagine he, if he if he falls flat on his face as an announcer? I know that's that's the risk that you take. Where Chris Collinsworth was a good NFL player. But he was not this megastar. And sometimes it's hard to transition over if you're a megastar. How many can you think of that have really done it? Maybe Terry Bradshaw was yeah. a guy who was a big-time superstar. But even then, he did some stuff live, was, but mostly in the booth. Who was the Fox. former quarterback that was in the booth with uh, Howard Cassell for a long time? I'm drawing a blank right now on Monday Night Football. Um, was it... Um, who was that? Former Cowboys quarterback. You'll have to look that up. I'm doing a Google um, search right now. But that's the thing is if you're a big-time superstar, I think it's a little bit harder to to be able to do it because there's a lot of pressure there. And also if you made $500 million in your career with endorsements and salary and everything else, do you want to put yourself through something that's going to take you away from your family and a lot of effort and everything else? That's That's a job that takes up half the year or more. It was Frank Gifford and Dandy Don Meredith. Oh, Don Meredith, yeah. Yeah, and I don't think people realize how big a deal Frank Gifford was. Like, oh, he, yeah, he was an all-time great. He player. was the best college football player in the country, and then was a pretty good wide receiver for the Giants for a few years, and then had like horrible injuries a couple yeah. of years in a row, and it just derailed his entire career. But the dude was a really good football player, especially in college, and had the cachet and the name value of just about any player of his time. So that that's a guy who had I don't know if he had Peyton Manning status. But had a lot of status. I don't know a lot about Dandy Don Meredith, but I think he had a good a good playing career and already had some name value before he went in the booth. And people still talk about that booth 
to this day, even though you and I forgot who it was that was next to Howard Cosell, a lot of people still talk about that booth and how good it was and how that was the standard, the measure for Monday night football booths to this day. So just answering your question about who's done it, who's been a high-profile player and gone into the booth and been successful, there's two guys right there. But they also had Howard Cosell working right next to him. Right, yeah. And, and it's not a guarantee that Manning would be bad. I just wonder if there's some risk in his mind. He doesn't need the money. He doesn't need to be that busy. And he just got done doing a really cool series where he sat down or went to uh, interesting places or whatever with a bunch of NFL legends. Peyton's places. Yeah, I wonder Mm -hmm. if he would rather do it on his own terms than be forced to kind of do it their way. Um, Now, my other question for you on this, and I've got a a couple other things to get to with you, Rami, is... Like, does it make a difference to you? Are you watching it more often if it's Peyton Manning and Ale Michaels? Is that going to bring you night, in? Monday night football, yes. Sunday, the Sunday slate of games, you could put you could put a goat in the booth, and I, <laughs> I'm going to watch. Like, you could put 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 any barn animal in the booth, and I'll I'll probably watch. I might turn it down. I might not be listening as intently. I might turn on the radio call. I don't know, but I'm not turning off my TV. I'm not going to stop watching football because the announcer isn't Tony Romo or isn't anybody of that level. Monday night, Thursday night, that's a little bit different. You're competing in a different landscape on Monday night and on Thursday night than you are on a Sunday. Like I said, you're not competing against other football games. You're competing against whatever's on TV, whatever's on Netflix, whatever's on Hulu, whatever's on Disney+, Plus, whatever's on Amazon Prime. And I think there are a lot of people like me who even if you are a, a big football fan, you you maybe don't tune in on Monday unless you have a good reason to tune in on Monday. It's your team. It's fantasy implications. There just isn't anything else better on TV that night. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think Peyton Manning brings eyes to TV screens. He brings eyeballs to TV screens, and that's why I said the Tony Romo deal isn't worth the money because you have to bring eyeballs to TV screens. If yeah. I'm the guy signing checks. I think the reason you love the Tony Romo thing, if you're CBS, is because you're going to put him on the biggest games. And you want somebody who you consider to be the best on the biggest games. Even if it isn't necessarily adding up with the formula of, does he bring in more people? But if someone vastly enhances the experience of the best games, that I think it's probably worth it. And just considering what money numbers we're talking about here, his 17 million is, or 18 million is a drop in the bucket. And so would, uh, Peyton Manning if they paid him 20 or 25 million. It sounds insane for someone to sit and talk football and get paid that much, but the NFL is bringing in so much crazy cash. Just look at what they're talking about with the CBAs of a 17th game pumping up the salary cap by a hundred million for every team. That's just adding one game to the mix. Right. And, and and what the next contracts could be for television is just absolutely mind-boggling. So that's kind of the world that we live in right now. Uh, I, I think that when it comes to Monday Night Football, people like me will continue to watch no matter who's playing. But that's been one of the issues that Monday Night Football has faced is you'll just have a lot of subpar matchups. And when that happens... And it's Monday night, and you got, I don't know, a Netflix show going on that you want to watch, or there's some network, other network TV show that you like, whatever it might be, or just things going on in your life. You're not going to move those things around or pass on the show to watch the Jaguars and Titans, which I know are usually on Thursday night, but same, <laughs> but same point. Same, exa- same exact point. It's just, it's not, that's, that matchup is not bringing What if much. like Maction? 
Thursday nights just turned into AFC South. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> right. AFC, AFC South, South Thursdays. <laughs> yeah, only if you want to tank the network. Like, the CEO who came up with that would be fired immediately. But even something like Jets Patriots. Okay, I'm just going to see the Jets get murdered here by a much better team. I think if you have Peyton Manning, that the NFL is more willing to throw you a bone. Because they've been sort of putting out a subpar broadcast package for quite some time. If you're the NFL, you're saying, well, all right, if you can't put on a great show as great as Sunday Night Football, then we're just not going to give you the best matchups. If Peyton Manning is there, it probably makes a difference. And I think that's what it ultimately what ultimately determines whether people watch or not is who's playing. Less than, is it Peyton in the booth? Is it Mike Tirico in the booth? Is it Al Michaels in the booth? Um but does it matter to me? Does this matchup get me excited to go home and watch this game? Or does it make me go, oh, Titans and Chargers, huh? Okay, so we'll see on that. But uh, I never expected that we would have trades or trades being rumored of broadcasters. But that is now the NFL world we live in. That's hilarious. Speaking of trades, Rami, since you're here mm-hmm. and you want it to be as reckless as possible... Mm-hmm. There have been two trades over the last two days in the NFL. A.J. Bouye was traded to the Denver Broncos, who seem to want to go for it now with uh, Drew Locke as their quarterback. Are the Jaguars just bailing on any competitiveness whatsoever? And they should. He's a really good cornerback. Yeah, they should. They should definitely do that. They're not in a position to win whatsoever, so tank for Trevor. It doesn't seem like that long ago they were the sexy pick in the AFC. Yeah, somebody put it out there. All the players that were starting in 2017 in the AFC Championship, and almost all of them are gone now at this point. And that's how it goes. There's a Vikings comparison to be made there, but they're a much worse organization, of course. Mm -hmm. So they made a trade. And then the Panthers and the Chargers, yesterday after the show, made a very strange trade. This was weird. Russell Okung for Trey Turner. Russell Okung's their left tackle who's had a lot of injury issues. Vikings actually wanted to sign him a few years ago. And Trey Turner is a monster guard who may have slipped a little last year, but is still very good at football. So I came up with some trades, and I increased the recklessness by Ooh, each one. So okay. I have three. And it starts out realistic, and then it gets to semi-realistic, and then it gets to preposterous. All right. And I want Let's you go. to just give me your analysis of each potential trade, I and then I've down. got a quick game for you. All right. My first potential trade, Anthony Barr to the New York Giants for a second-round pick, and here's why. I'll explain it. Anthony Barr is a very good NFL player mm-hmm. who makes a big difference on the Vikings' defense, but his salary cap hit is over $12 million for this year, and without sacks or interceptions, or elite coverage, he's not making 12 or $13 million worth of impact. Sure. So it was like my Tony Romo argument. You move him, you replace him with Eric Wilson, you bring in a second-round pick in a draft that is going to have a lot of very good players in the second round. Your reaction? I think I'd do it. I think I, I think I would do it. You can replace Anthony Barr, and this goes back to something that I keep saying, which is put more resources elsewhere on the roster and tell Mike Zimmer make magic on defense. That's your thing. Go do it. And if you That's didn't, why you're our head coach. If you didn't have Eric Wilson, I would say it's going to be tough. But yeah, no, your linebacker core is already so strong that I think that you can you can part with Anthony Barr and find a replacement who might not be quite replacement level, but you can make up for whatever drop off there is in other ways elsewhere on the roster in terms of making you a better, more complete football team. Okay, trade number two. 25th overall pick to trade to Atlanta for their two second-round picks. Now, why are we doing this? 15th and 23rd in the second round. 
Here's why. You have so many holes, and you don't have that many draft picks toward the top. You just have your standard one, two, three. And uh, there are a lot of impact players in the second round. There are receivers. It's a very deep receiver draft. There are tackles that might drop into the second round. There's a lot of defensive players, a lot of corners, a lot of safeties. And drafting three second-round players is probably giving you a better chance to fill a bunch of spots than it is to draft one at 25 and one at second round 25. And every study that's ever been done on this finds that the very top of the draft, your top 10, are the guys who produce all the time, like the great players in the league. And past like 15, there's not that big of a difference between 15 and 15th in the second round in terms of your odds to get a great player. That's the explanation. I wouldn't do it today. If you're asking me to make that trade today, I say no. Now, come draft night, if something if something I'm not looking for doesn't drop to me, doesn't fall in my lap at that 25th pick, then then let's talk trade. But today, if you ask me, no, nah, I'd rather wait and see what I can get with that pick. I like it to try and stack assets. Just get as many players, as many swings as you can. And second-round picks have worked out pretty well for the Vikings recently. Eric Hendricks, Irv Smith, I think will be a good player. Even Mackenzie Alexander became a good player. All right, third trade, and the most preposterous, but defensible. Daniil Hunter and 25 to Washington mm. for number two overall. And this to get Tua, right? Of course. Mm. I have a real hard time parting with maybe the best pass rusher in this league. More sacks under the age of 25 than anybody ever. It's true. Still young, going to be productive for a long time. You have him on a really reasonable contract. It's true. You don't get that that often at that position. But if there's one thing that's harder to find than great pass rushers who are still young and productive and on reasonable contracts, it's that dude at quarterback. It is. And if Tua is that dude... I have a hard time saying no. Anytime, anytime you have a chance. This is kind of what we talked about with the Redskins considering getting Tua, even though yeah, they have Dwayne Haskins. they'd be passing up on Chase Young. Anytime yep. you have a chance to upgrade that position, even if you have a good one and you think you could get a great one, I think that you have to at least explore that possibility. And so, I, man, I'm, like, I'm really on the fence about this one. I'm really, really on the fence with this one because... The flip side is, we know what Daniil Hunter is. Mm-hmm. We know that dude's a beast, and he's going to be a beast for a long time. Barring injury, I don't see anything slowing Daniil Hunter down from chasing down and scaring the life out of quarterbacks. We don't know that Tua is that dude. It's true. We it's think true. he is. It's a huge risk to take. A lot of people much smarter than me and you are saying that he is, but we don't know that for sure. But And you're trading a sure thing. For a not-so-sure thing. The thing that you could probably do, though, if you traded for Tua, would be in 2021, going into that offseason, when you get Kirk's money off of your salary cap, you could sign another edge rusher. Who's probably not quite as good as Daniel Hunter, but also probably good. And then you spend the rest of the draft trying to find cornerbacks. He has a huge impact on winning, Daniel Hunter. But... There's no edge rusher in the NFL who has as big of an impact on winning as a quarterback. And it helps you a ton if you have him on a rookie deal for four years, and then you can also uh, use the fifth-year option. That gives you a pretty decent chance to go to a Super Bowl if the guy clicks. And if he doesn't, everyone's fired. And that's mm-hmm. why I love it, because it's a video game trade. But those those are the three trades where I poked around and said, all right, which one is pretty realistic? 
which one is smart but not that exciting and which one is crazy. And I kind of like all of them. I think I do it. I think I do you it. think you do it? Uh, because of the reasons that you just listed off. I think I'd, you talked me into it. I was on the fence, and you talked me into it. I think I'd do it. You got me in this car. You got me in this new car, Matthew Collar. Trades. Oh. Uh, well. Love it. We'll see if they actually do make any I trades. want to see what the trade is going to be for Al Michaels. I'm genuinely curious. <laughs> I know. What do you get? I'm it must genuinely be cash, cash, right? I don't know. It must be cash. All right. Is there an announcer who they could trade? Another announcer? Yeah. Future future considerations. An announcer to be named later. Who's that? Who's on NBC that they could trade? I don't know the lineup, but or ESPN. Maybe, excuse maybe me. NBC is Olympic trading guys. out Michaels. Maybe they move some of those Olympic guys. Hmm. Is there an up and comer? Could they get a prospect? <laughs> I don't have a prospect. Yeah, that's right. You know this guy just graduated from Northwestern and he's coming up. <laughs> no, Syracuse. That's the broadcasting like university. Future. They, they got to yeah. come out of Syracuse. Oh yeah, those that's the Alabama of, it of is. sports broadcasting. All right, we're getting close to the end of the segment here, but I love to play this game with Sage Rosenfeld, so I want to play this quickly with you. All right, I have six prospects. And I have four descriptions from NFL.com. And I'm going to read you the highlights of the descriptions. Oh, God. And you have to match up which player meets which description. Oh, God. Sage Rosenfels is amazing at this game because he knows all the draft language. I'm not going to be as good at this so game. I love draft lingo. I'm not going to be as good it. at this game. All right. So your prospects are LSU offensive lineman Lloyd Cushenberry, Clemson corner A.J. Terrell, Georgia kicker Rodrigo Blankenship, Florida State corner Stanford Samuels. I just loved his name. LSU tight end and Randy Moss's son, Thaddeus Lloyd Moss. Lloyd Cushenberry is a really strong it's, name, yeah, too. I, That's I, a strong and name. And so is Rodrigo Blankenship. Absolutely. So I did some yeah. of that. Rodrigo and, Blankenship sounds like an <laughs> alias. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You check into a hotel as Rodrigo Blankenship. Right, exactly. Uh, Syracuse wide receiver. Tr- Anthony Weeder's other alias. This is Tristan Johnson. Okay. Not Tristan. Uh-huh. Tristan. Okay, okay. So there's your six players. I have four descriptions. Got it. Match them up. All right. Our first player is known for his thick, black-rimmed glasses. He also released a rap song inspired by his coach's Attack the Day mantra. Now, if you know college football, you're screaming which guy this is. Uh, But you don't, and that's why I included it. A.J. Terrell. A.J. Terrell did not do a rap song, and he does not have thick glasses. That is our guy, Rodrigo Blankenship. Really? It is. He's a kicker. Yes. That's why it's so funny that he released the rap song. That could also be a rap name. Rodrigo Blankenship doesn't even need to come up with a rap name. Uh, Our second player, he wore number 18, though unusual for his position. It's given out to a selfless player who displayed a selfless attitude. Mm. Uh, That number honors a quarterback who led this player's team to a national championship in 2003. This player, also described by NFL.com as a do-your-job prospect. You said he wore 18, and that is not. It's not usual for the position. Thaddeus Moss. It is Lloyd Cushenberry. Damn it. Really? Because nope. I watched the reason that was my first guess. That's when I was going through this in my head. I watched LSU more than other football teams. Yeah, I never this looked year. at the center's number. I never saw I questioned that one myself. I, I would like, have noticed an offensive lineman with number 18. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. That's, that's what it said in his NFL.com profile. All right. Uh, our third player. Uh, quote, needs to play with better bend from off man mm. in space. Mm. And he also has bad body language when teammates make mistakes, but he has a disciplined side shuffle. What was the first what was the first sentence in that? Uh he needs to play with better bend from off man in space. And the last part was side shuffle. That was the last yeah, thing you said. Shuffle. That's gotta be a cornerback. 
Uh, so I'm just going to flip a coin and take Stanford Samuels. It is Stanford All Samuels. Right. Yes. There we go. All right, your last one. This player has been compared to former Viking Michael Pruitt. And I'm really banking on you not knowing Michael Pruitt. I don't. I have no idea who that is. He has, quote, below average wiggle. And he, quote, You don't want to have below average wiggle, I man. I totally agree. You do he, not want to have below quote, average wiggle. gave work to Big Cat Bryant. Now, I don't know who Big Cat Bryant is, but he gave him work. with below average wiggle? He gave work to Big Cat Bryant. You can't give work with below average wiggle, man. That's not possible. Big Cat Bryant is a first baseman from 1923. (laughs) And here comes Big Cat Bryant. This has really been worked. Uh, which player is that? This has got to be Lloyd Cushenberry. This is we already had Lloyd Cushenberry. Oh, we did. Uh, You're only down to two other players that haven't, or three that haven't. Been oh, I'm used. down to Thaddeus Moss, and AJ Terrell, and Tristan Johnson. Which one is it? Give me Tristan. It's Thaddeus Moss. Damn. It. So Randy's kid is lacking in the wig. Yeah, I would lacking think in Ra- the wiggle. I would think Randy Moss's kid has wiggle. I know. I was strong wiggle. Uh, Rami, thank you for your time. We no got to hit a break, and when we come back, uh, we're going to have someone from PFF we've never had before on the show. Anthony Trish will be on. Uh, he's a senior analyst for PFF. We'll bring him on when we come back here on Purple Daily. Hey there, it's Phil Mackey for Federated Mutual Insurance Company, and Federated is here to give business owners out there peace of mind. You pour your life and energy into a business, and the last thing you want is for something to happen that puts you on the defense, and that's where Federated comes in. Based in Owatonna, Minnesota, over a century of experience in standing behind business owners. If you're a business owner and you want some more peace of mind, go to federatedinsurance.com to find out more about your local Federated marketing representative. Federated Insurance, it's their business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download. You can join myself and Dan Terhart this Saturday night for Score North's coverage of Minnesota United at the San Jose Earthquakes. Pre-game at 6.30 p.m., kickoff at 7 p.m. right here on Score North, scorenorth.com, and the free Score North mobile app over on scorenorth.com. Matthew Collar has an article out about where the Vikings stand with analytics based off this quote from Mike Zimmer at the NFL Combine. Yeah, Rick, Rick loves it. Yeah, Rick loves it. Um, you know, analytics is a tool. Um, he likes to use it because it's a good buzzword for him. Um, you know, for me, tendencies about the other team and things like that, when we look at tendencies, we could say they're analytics, but um, I have a hard time someone telling me to go for it on fourth and five when you're up by two scores and they don't know the team that they're playing against. And if you do go for it and you don't get it, they don't get fired, I do. So that's my take on it. We'll bring in Judd Zolgat at 3 o'clock to talk about that article and where the Vikings, who in that Vikings organization, where they stand with analytics. That's been your Score North Download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you, Jonathan. Now, speaking of analytics, joining us on the show, he is an analyst from Pro Football Focus. And the first time on the show, Anthony Tresh. Uh, Anthony, you probably heard that quote from Mike Zimmer. How does that strike you? Yeah, I, I hadn't heard that until now, just for the first time. And honestly, I'm not surprised to hear something like that. And I'm kind of surprised he aired it out as much as he did. But, you know, I think we're getting to the point in the NFL where as the coaches get younger, they're going to start embracing it more. And we're going to see more and more front offices just continue to hire people. So, I mean, I think we're on the upward trend. But, I mean, as you can tell, we're still we're still caught there. 
Well, I wrote about it at scorenorth.com. You can see the article about where the Vikings stand with analytics. And, Anthony, there is a difference between where the Vikings stand in the front office and with their head coach, which I find to be interesting. And it was a big talk in Indianapolis because after Zimmer made that comment, I went and asked a number of people. And what I got back was, yeah, there's a little bit of a disconnect there because what you guys are doing at Pro Football Focus is truly incredible. Taking all the numbers from you know college and trying to contextualize them and all the combine scores and everything else to come to some conclusions about these college players and what they'll do in the NFL. Well, the Vikings are on that bus very much. And I include in the article a quote from Rick Spielman talking about sort of cloning players based on what they did in college and what they did at the combine. And it's interesting to me that you know, I think front offices, you can tell me if you if I'm wrong here, front offices appear to be ahead of their own coaches with things like this. Oh, for sure. And I think no matter what, every single team, whether they like it or not, they have to have analytics people. Just because if they don't, they feel like they're not getting that competitive edge. And it's just whether or not the coaching staff really listens to them. I mean, you have some teams like the Indianapolis Colts where, you know, Frank Reich, he has an, an analytics guy, George Lee, in his ear every single game telling him what's going on. I mean, it goes from the player evaluation standpoint. I think that's where that's where it's all going to start and coaches start embracing it. And then, you know, getting into game day where it involves, you know, decisions on a per-play basis. So, I mean, you know, we're, we're getting there. And it's a little bit of the point that I made. I don't mean to uh, ruin my own article by talking about it um, in depth, but uh, that – if you are a team that is on with the numbers 90% of the time as a coach or 70% of the time, that can be the difference between making the playoffs and not making the playoffs. This year, the Vikings punted on the other side of the field in Kansas City. The very next play is a 90-yard touchdown by the Chiefs, and you lose that game, and you kind of lose your shot at getting home field advantage. The Chiefs end up ultimately getting home field advantage. That The NFL could be swung on small decisions, and when Zimmer says, well, yeah, the analytics person doesn't get fired, I mean, A, probably not for giving you the right advice by the numbers, but... I think as a coach, you're putting your life in your hands if you're not following what the data tells you to do at this point. For sure. And I'm going to have to check out that article because I'm really interested in that now. But, I mean, I can understand why someone, you know, coming from, you know, that age range, why he's hesitant to even listen just because, I mean, he is true. He's right. He's going to be ended up the one getting fired at the end of the day for all those decisions if he follows them. And that's why he's really hesitant on it. But, I mean, you got to take risks. And, I mean, it's really not even a risk. I shouldn't even say that just because I mean, that's the most probable outcome. If the, if the numbers say so, that's what's going to more likely happen. And if it, it's not going to happen 100% of the time, the numbers aren't always right just because there are outliers out there. You know, it's, it's just recognizing that and just really getting on board with, you know, everyone. Yeah, you make a good point that things that seem risky can actually be riskier to go against them. At least that's what the numbers would tell you. So as he's describing, and I tried my best to figure out the exact situation he was talking about, and I even asked him in Indy, which was it? And I couldn't quite pin it down based on his description. So I just used an example. Um, But if you're doing a thing that by the percentages says it's not going to work out as often, that to me is more risky. But uh, anyway, scorenorth.com is where to check that out. I, I messaged it to you if you want to read it yourself, Anthony. But you wrote a great piece. Absolutely. 
at uh, pff.com called Prospects PFF Doesn't Like As Much As Other Scouts in Media. And the first guy you start with, because you guys know how to bring in readers, is Jordan Love from Utah State, who uh, I believe Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper have a $5,000 bet to charity over whether Jordan Love or Justin Herbert uh, are going to go, uh, which one is going to go first. They're both on your list. So let's start with Jordan Love. Uh, interceptions in college always scare me. Is that the case with you, Anthony, and why he's on your list? Yeah, especially when you're looking at a guy like Jordan Love. I mean, nothing, I don't think any, I'm, nothing really is, uh, infuriates me more than when people really say this guy's the whole package and really banking on potential. I mean, that's the whole analytics motto. I mean, you don't draft on potential in the first round. I mean, you go with what we know, and what we know is that Jordan Love was not a good collegiate quarterback. I mean, he had the most interceptions thrown into a tight window. And really all of his success, I mean, he has a cannon for an arm. I mean, it is an absolute cannon, I will say that. His pocket presence is really good. However, when we only see that really cannon shine when he's hitting an open receiver that has, you know, two or three yards of separation on his guy on a go ball downfield. I mean, that's really where we saw it. And every once in a while, he might have snuck in a good one to a tight window. But more often than not, it was bad. I mean, looking at the article, I had a nice table in there stating, you know, because we chart every ball, you know, that a quarterback throws, and, you know, whether or not it was an incompletion that was his fault, was it the receiver's fault, did the receiver slip, and so on and so forth. And looking at that, I mean, he had the highest rate of incompletions that were his fault in this draft class. I mean, it really wasn't even close. I mean, Cole McDonald was close, close to him, but he's really not a highly coveted guy like Jordan Love. So, I mean, I think it's more of, you know, Pete Scouts looking at this guy in his big arm and his size and thinking, you know, we could try and make this guy work. And you can't really – and I was talking about this the other day, that, you know, all these scouts and coaches will say, you know, you can't really coach or teach accuracy. It's one of those things you just kind of have to have. But at the same time, they're also saying, looking at a guy like Jordan Love, you know, oh, we can work with it. I mean, but you really can't work with it. Well, what's interesting about Jordan Love is that people are talking themselves into it because of his supporting cast. And this is an argument that I just am not sure really pans out very often. When you say, oh, well, he didn't have really good receivers and his offensive line might not have been that great. So that's why this happened. But more often than not, that doesn't really come to fruition when the guy gets to the NFL. Um, I would say the same for Josh Allen. It was the same sort of excuses of, well, you know, those Wyoming receivers. But also, the guy was at Wyoming. And not that no one's ever turned out from a smaller college, but if they have, they usually lit it up like crazy, like Steve McNair style or something. So when somebody doesn't have crazy good numbers at a smaller college, I always hesitate to say, well, yeah, yeah, you got to contextualize that because he didn't have this, he didn't have that. I mean, if he's an NFL talent, he should be making those people better. Exactly. And, I mean, looking at his past season, I mean, he only played two games against Power 5 competition this year, Wake Forest and LSU. And that just Those two games happened to be his worst games of the year by far. I mean, he really didn't show out when he was called on. And, you know, I agree with that. I mean, even though his supporting cast may not have been ideal – I mean, the defenses he were playing weren't ideal either, and he mm-hmm. never took advantage, full advantage, in my opinion, of that. I mean, looking at, you know, I, I recall really vividly going back to his bowl game against Kent State. I mean, everyone was watching that game like an absolute hawk, just because that's when the draft talk started heating up, and everyone realized, well, he's kind of getting talked, so he, let's see how he plays. And he, I mean, he played well. I mean, he had a PFF grade, I think, in the mid-70s that game. 
But, I mean, granted, he also got charged for two sacks in that game against Kent State. Uh, it was his fault, two sacks. I mean, that's pretty bad. I mean, his pocket presence was good against the bad schools. You know, it looked good right now, and it's really good right now. But I'm really wondering how that might transfer over to the NFL against, you know, guys like Khalil Mack, Von Miller, you know, J.J. Watt. I mean, it's going to get really difficult to do that. So I, I just really don't see his projection as nearly as high as any of these other quarterbacks. And I mentioned in the article, you know, we have a new metric called wins above average developed by our data scientists. And it kind of just measures value, you know, wins above average. I and mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. A lot of different factors go into it. And looking back at all the first-round quarterbacks since 2015, which ones had the lowest wins above average? Right now, Josh Allen is the only one to really generate less than a tenth of a win in a single season and then get drafted in the first round. And Jordan Love would join him in that pack. I mean, it, it has nothing to do with the school they were at, but rather their play specifically on the field because we adjust for strength of competition on there. So, I mean, that's really not ideal what you want to see. And as bad as Josh Allen was over the last two years, he even did better than I thought he would, I guess. not. I mean, not as a passer, but just as, you know, he had some good third down throws and his running was really good and he made up for some of the shortcomings. But still, you get to the playoffs and you lose to Deshaun Watson because you don't have the better quarterback. And I feel like with Jordan Love and Justin Herbert, it's the same trap that we were talking all year about not falling into. Oh, yeah, there's some athletic guys that you need to not worry exactly if they look perfect or how fast Deshaun Watson threw the football according to the radar gun at the Combine. You should worry about things that matter. And with these two guys in particular, it seems like you're going, I guess I would call it the Brock Osweiler or the pa- uh, Paxton Lynch or or the Blake Bortles type of route. Is These guys profile pretty similarly to major busts. Exactly. And, and you know, looking at Josh Allen, I mean, he... He has a good trait in that he's mobile and he can use his legs. And that's something Jordan Love really doesn't have. So that's where I I'm really, really don't even think there's any shot he will succeed. And I'm, I'm afraid that some team's going to get themselves in a situation if they draft him early enough. You know, you mentioned Todd McSham, and he has him going early in the first draft. I think some team might find themselves in a situation that Chicago, the Chicago Bears are in right now where they're trapped with you know, a high draft pick, and they already invested so much into that that they don't want to call it quits, you know, any anytime soon. I mean, I, that's where I'm afraid, and that's really going to set a franchise back. You know, looking at Justin Herbert, I, I would be a little bit more confident with him just because with his arm strength, I mean, it's great, like Jordan Love. And, but we've seen him actually perform pretty well with that. I mean, yeah. he's made some pretty impressive throws downfield. However, I mean, he just he panics whenever this scheme collapses. I mean, when you're watching him and pressure starts to come his way or he gets knocked off his rhythm, I mean, it gets pretty ugly. Sometimes he'll just force throws into his first read when he sees, you know, a pass rusher win immediately. He'll just force it into that first read, and then it'll just turn into an interception. We saw that continuously with him. And so I'm a little bit more confident with Justin Herbert, but I still think we're overvaluing these guys. And, you know, Eric, I know you're good friends with um, he mentioned this, wrote a good article about Anthony Gordon and how he is more, he's worth, he's a better pick, you know, in day two in that third round range versus drafting a Justin Herbert or Jordan Love in the first round. I mean, these guys are just really risky. And, you know, honestly, outside of Joe Burrow and Tua to a Tongue of Viola, I wouldn't really invest in any of the quarterbacks in this draft. Well, now, if we're talking about the same formula, for a say third round pick for Jalen Hurts, does that make sense to you? I would, 
I would say maybe fourth round for Jalen Hurts. And I mean, well, in that wins above average metric we talked about earlier, it projects very well for Jalen Hurts. And, you know, we're going back and forth. He's kind of one of the different prospects. You know, I've talked a lot with Mike Renner about this and, you know, I've went back and watched a lot of his plays and looking at his passing. And I'm just really not sure that's going to transfer over to the NFL as well, just because he had the longest time to throw by far. I think it was two tenths of a second more than any other FBS quarterback last season. And not to mention he had a pretty slow release. So, I mean, that's something that I, I would be worried about with his passing. And a lot of his success came, you know, in the rushing attack too, but not necessarily the designed rushing attack, but more the RPO based. I mean, he was very impressive on RPOs and he, whenever he pulled, I think he averaged over 10 yards per attempt when he pulled on an RPO, but they also had a good package of quarterback designed RPOs for him to carry the ball himself. But at the same time, you have to think college is more favorable to that just because the offensive linemen have more leeway. So you kind of have to consider that too with Jalen Hurts. But I do think he, he and Anthony Gordon and even a guy like Tyler Huntley, who's going to be taken very, very late, didn't even get a combine invite. Those are the guys that do project well. Maybe even a Jake Fromm, I'll throw him in there too. I think those four are ones I'd be willing to risk, you know, like day two or day three pick on. But, yeah, I mean, Jalen Hurts is one that's kind of bouncing back and forth with. And you mentioned uh, Mike Renner. Please um, pass along our good wishes for Mike, who's dealing with a cracked tooth, which is why Mike is not on the show and you're here, which I'm, I'm glad to be talking to you, Anthony. But we can't have that smile of Mike Renner's being messed up. Oh, I know. It's too valuable. Way too valuable. <laughs> uh, uh, definitely some some uh, smile above replacement uh, on those teeth. Uh, just <laughs> last thing for you, Anthony. The, the other players that you mentioned here, some catch my eye. Makai Becton is being talked about as a potential top five pick because how often is a guy 364 pounds who runs a 5-1 40-yard dash? which is a great and hilarious feat of humanity. But what does that mean to him actually playing football? Because you know there are lots of players, uh, I remember looking back at Zadarius Smith, for example, who murdered the Minnesota Vikings this year, and his combine wasn't that impressive. So a lot of times you end up, Orlando Brown's a great example. Uh, you and I could have easily outrun Orlando Brown, and he's a pretty darn good right tackle. So what does it mean for Mekhi Becton to have dominated the NFL combine but maybe be unclear on how good he's actually going to be at football. Yeah, he definitely earned himself a good payday. I will say that because I, I could very well see a team like the New York Giants and Dave Gettleman being all over this guy with the fourth overall pick when honestly he should not even be a first round pick. And I think looking back to his career at Louisville, I mean, it was pretty, especially in 2019, it was very protected by the scheme. We saw a lot of screens, jet sweeps, and play action passes. So really, he, he, I mentioned this in the article, he saw only 73 true pass sets. So, I mean, just standard quarterback wow. drop back. Yeah, and on those 73 true pass sets, he allowed eight pressures. I mean, that's a pretty concerning rate. And looking back to his two seasons prior, his grades really weren't all that special. So I think he is definitely, I, I, he, I would throw him up there with Jordan Love as the riskiest guys that I think will get overdrafted at the end of the day. So, yeah, he's definitely one that we're not as high on. 
The article is prospects PFF doesn't like as much as other scouts and media. Anthony Tresh, the author, and a great job filling in for Renner. Before I let you go, it has become a tradition here in this offseason to ask for a hot quarterback take before everyone leaves. So where's Brady going? Does Cam Newton get traded somewhere? What is your best this quarterback lands there hot take? Yeah, actually, this morning I said Tom Brady was staying in New England, and someone looked at me in the offense and said, that's a pretty hot take, and I really don't understand why it's a hot take. I think he said so, and I think he's doing this for leverage more than anything. So I really don't think he's going anywhere. And I guess another one, I think Jameis Winston will stay in Tampa Bay in Andy Dalton. I think he'll end up in Chicago, uh, reunite with his old offensive coordinator. And funny enough, I actually do have an article coming out tomorrow mentioning all, predicting all the quarterback landing spots over at pff.com. So oh, check it out for the rest of the, all those hot takes. Good timing. PFF uh, underscore Anthony is his Twitter and pff.com is where he writes. Well, great job filling in, man. I hope we could do this again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yep, for sure. Good stuff. Uh, Anthony Trash there. I don't know if it's a hot take to say that Tom Brady going back to New England is a thing that could happen. Uh, I, I felt like that is still the most likely outcome, and it's probably right that he wants everyone to come and make their presentations and tell them why they should he should be their quarterback, and he wants... Didn't LeBron get some songs? Didn't people make, like... Come to the Knicks, LeBron. LeBron. Was that the team making it, it or fans? I, th- I mean, fans, we, but okay. still, you if, want, you I want mean, that, right? would you right? put it past the Knicks to make a song like that? Uh, somebody else brought up, maybe Dan Orlovsky, that, no, I would not bring that past the Knicks. <laughs> they can't even handle Spike Lee. <laughs> no. um, but it, maybe, Dan Orlovsky brought this up, Brady wants to at least see what everybody has to say mm-hmm. and make their arguments. San Francisco coming up, is probably, like I said, jumping the shark, but Orlovsky and our guy, Sage Rosenfels, love that idea, and they think it's totally realistic. There are some other Patriots reporters who are saying the same thing that Anthony Tresh just said, which is, yeah, I think he might be doing this to try and pump up his own value because he doesn't actually have that much leverage with the New England Patriots in a negotiation because the Patriots because of their organization, could probably have their pick of the litter for other quarterbacks that they want. I mean, say that Bill Belichick calls you up and you're Teddy. And he's like, Teddy, wants you to be our quarterback. I mean, if you're Teddy, can you be like, no way, Bill. You don't know how to win. <laughs> like, right? like, <laughs> no. Even if they don't have great receivers now, even if they don't have an offensive line now that's great, you've got to figure that you're going to win just on having the best coach in the NFL and one of the best organizations in the NFL, and they might cheat to help you. So you either it's a win-win if you're another quarterback that's out there or if New England would be a team that would trade up for a quarterback or get someone else in the second because they've got their eye on Jalen Hurts or Anthony Gordon or someone else that they think is uh, good, that they can spot. They spotted Jimmy Garoppolo, and he turned out to be good. So if you're New England, you can move on here and say, yeah, we'll just rebuild this thing. And we were planning on you leaving eventually, so it had to happen at some point. And also the relationship between Belichick and Brady just seems a little salty at this Mm -hmm. point between those two. They've been around for so long together that I don't think it's quite hot take territory. I think it still remains the favorite. I haven't looked... I get emails every day on betting odds for stuff. I haven't looked what the betting odds are, but I would still I would still put New England first and then the field. 
after that. Yeah. And we know New England is notorious for not paying their potential free agents. They let guys go all the time if they think the price is too high and it's not worth the value. If they think the price is too high for Tom Brady and not worth the value with a couple years left on his career, they're probably going to let him go. Right. So why would this be so much different with Tom Brady yeah. when we know Belichick is just a cold-hearted killer? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. He'll move on from pretty much anybody. Uh, all right. Judd Zolgad's going to come in next. Uh, we also have Jeff Rieger coming up at 315. Zolgad and I are going to discuss um, an article that I wrote today. I basically, after listening to Mike Zimmer at the podium, started asking people that I know who are in the analytics world about the Viking situation. And I ran across some interesting things. So we're going to discuss my article from scorenorth.com. When we return, you listen to Purple Daily here on Score North. Join Mackie, Judd, and Rami each Wednesday at 5 p.m. for Write That Down. The guys not only make sports predictions, but hold each other accountable for them each and every week. For your chance to be a guest picker on Write That Down, enter through listening rewards on your Score North mobile app. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Yeah, Rick, Rick loves him. Yeah, Rick loves him. Um, you know, analytics is a tool. Um, he likes to use it because it's a good buzzword for him. Um, you know, for me, tendencies about the other team and things like that, when we look at tendencies, we could say they're analytics, but um, I have a hard time someone telling me to go for it on fourth and five when you're up by two scores and they don't know the team that they're playing against. And if you do go for it and you don't get it, they don't get fired, I do. So that's my take on it. All right, back here on Purple Daily, Matthew Collar, now Judd Zolgad joining in studio. And I just feel like this is such a Zolgad-style topic to discuss the interworkings of the front office and potential conflict. It just matches up with Zolgadian theory. At 3.15, we'll talk with Jeff Rieger from Detroit. Uh, We're going to talk about whether the Lions are a sleeping giant or uh, just still going to be a disaster because of Matt Patricia. Uh, But in Indianapolis, I kind of let this simmer for a few days because I wasn't sure how much I wanted to write about it. But then I talked to a few more people and decided it was worth putting down on paper. And it's at scorenorth.com. Mike Zimmer went to the podium. Jonathan has played the soundbite. And he sort of scoffed at something that the analytics department had sent to him about a particular situation. Mm -hmm. Now, just to make it clear, I tend to agree with Mike Zimmer that the numbers on broad situations go for it here don't go for it there they don't factor in the feeling of the game they don't factor in who the other team's quarterback is sometimes if the other team's quarterback is drew Brees, maybe you'd want to be more aggressive because you know he's going to score or if their quarterback is Jameis winston he'll throw you a pick back so maybe you want to play it a little more conservative or something everything varies and everything is up for conversation about every situation because all games are different So I totally agree with the point that he's trying to make. But the point that he's trying to make is not really what's interesting. It's that he went to the podium, was asked about analytics, and sort of said, yeah, that's a thing our general manager cares about. Yeah. And when I started to ask people there who I know in the analytics realm, Mm -hmm. because I've been interested in analytics for a very long time, 
And so I've gotten to know a lot of people who do it. And, and surprisingly, there's some hockey football crossover. I used to do a lot of hockey analytics and everything else. So I know a lot of people who are involved in this sphere. And when I started to ask around a little bit, what I got back was that there's a difference that Zimmer laid out in his own podium session, that there is a difference between the way the front office sees it and the front office wants to see it going forward and how Mike Zimmer sees its usage. And some people described it in different degrees. Some people described it closer to what Mike Zimmer said, where it's a tool. Some people said that Zimmer really just pushes back against the analytics. So I didn't try to specifically pin that down, the degree of it, because I got varying opinions. But I think as we go into a very interesting offseason here, where there are certain players who aren't worth it, when it comes to the data that shows how they've played and what they're worth in terms of wins versus how much Mike Zimmer might want to bring them back. And we get into a draft where certain positions might not be worth it and other positions might be Mm -hmm. that we could have a different view on how to approach the rebuilding of this team and just about how to go forward even on the field. I I was going to say, can you explain too, because I sort of get this, but you're around way more than I am and you have a greater depth of knowledge here too. I think it's interesting because analytics to most is like, oh, the numbers say this. And some people are like, that's great. And some people are like, who cares? But explain to me too, that how this develops sort of factions within a building. And we also are talking about things like practice schedules and, and maintenance and when you have a real practice versus a, so go down, down that path too, because I think it's way more than on fourth down. I like to do this and Rick yes. likes to do that. So yes. go down that path. And I also made it clear in the article that Zimmer's, general general instinct for these things is pretty close to analytics. Not necessarily with running the ball 50% of the time, but he loves play action. He thinks play action is really effective. Well, guess what? The numbers back that up entirely. He wanted Cousins to be running more play action, and that was part of the reason for firing John Filippo. Well, he was right. And on most, most fourth downs, I looked into a bunch of their fourth downs, and yep, they were right. I mean, most of the time, yeah. he's not consistently botching these things right. versus some coaches you watch on Sunday where you go, are you serious, man? I think it's more Bill of... Bill O'Brien? Yeah, Bill O'Brien is one of them. And surprisingly, he went for it on fourth down a lot last year. Uh, but there are, yeah, there are some coaches that it just blows your mind how bad they are at managing the clock, at fourth down decisions. But that's sort of what analytics has been connected to. It's player grades from PFF, running backs don't matter in fourth downs. Well, it's much more vast than that. And you mentioned the player health data. Well, I know that, because I've seen them doing this, they track every single player, every single practice for how much mileage, how much they've run, and and different things like that. And they're processing that data. And so if this is going even deeper than I know about it, into the health and analytics, into the roster building, into the cap management, into in-game philosophy, and... You know, here might be an example that if you have second and 10 and you hand off, it's just an inefficient play. That doesn't mean never hand off. If the other team is playing dime and has no one in the box, you can hand off and get eight yards. But it means that on the whole, wanting your team to run more on second and 10 is not a particularly good idea. Mm -hmm. And so there's all these things that are different facets. And if you have a front office and the president 
that they just hired, Andrew Miller, came from Toronto and originally cut his teeth in Cleveland, one of the most analytics-savvy organizations. So they brought in someone who's very forward-thinking from baseball, where they have 30-person analytics departments. They have a general manager who's talked, and I quoted him in the article, extensively about how they use analytics to draft better. And then you have a coach who says, eh, that's a thing someone else likes. And please don't tell me how to handle my fourth downs. That's where you wonder, is this a point of conflict if things go and not perfectly in the future here? And I, I think it's worth pointing out, too, that if Mike is arriving at the right conclusions via his own football savvy and or his own gut, analytics people who work really hard to decide what the right conclusions are probably aren't like, well, isn't that cute? Zim comes to... So so they also, and I'm just throwing this out there, Matthew, they also might not be on, on the same page because of how they're getting there. Yes, yeah, Mike's yeah. a good football coach. Yeah. Mike might have a yes. uh, an instinct for what to do, but if he's getting there through a means that might come around one day where the analytics department's like, "What are you doing now?" It, it create it can create some it can create some interesting situations. And it's really not so much about right now or what just happened because overall, if I were grading Zimmer's in-game decisions from 2019, I would give him something like a B or a B plus. I'd say good job for the most part. He won his challenges, which is not analytics. He's improved, but he's, by the way, too. Yes, vastly improved. I want to say when you got here or before you got here, there were some ugly he games. struggled, yep. And he's gotten better at clock management, and I asked him about it last year, and he said that he's put a good deal of effort into creating situations for his own practice in training camp, and I've seen this at work. So it's not as if Zimmer is really bad at this and is costing you games in comparison to this. The concern would be, A, that there's friction between how two sides see things want to be used, and B, where it's going to go. Because the two teams that stand way out to me are Philadelphia and Baltimore that are just on a completely different level from everyone else and how much they apply a lot of the game theory stuff, but just analytics in general. Mm -hmm. They are head and shoulders above most of the rest of the league. I've also heard that Atlanta's pretty good on this, but they're in a pretty tough spot. And their head coach is a bit problematic when it comes to this stuff, too. Um, But those two teams, their head coaches, Doug Peterson and John Harbaugh, are all in on This is what it says for the numbers. I'm going to go with that. And if it doesn't work out, at least I went with what made sense statistically of these things being studied. And and, and that's another point is they're all based on real events that actually happen. They're just giving you odds. So sometimes the odds might say it's 55% versus 45%. The example I used in my article, it was only a 5% difference. But if it goes wrong, then you go back and go, well... You did play against the odds, so you reduced your chances by 5% by not doing what we said you should have done. And then it's a tough look for you when you're saying, no, 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 I was right, even though I went against what you can prove on a bigger right. picture. Yes. Right? So, you know, I, I think that that's where the the conflict or the concern would be from the front office is if two head coaches in the league are really far ahead on this, how many more are to come? Is Cliff Kingsbury going to be another guy who's younger, who's going to figure this out? Sean McVay is not particularly good at it, surprisingly enough. That is um, surprising. But he might be. He might become better at it. Do they not have the department? I, I guess that would know. But... I guess that would be my consistent question. How, how many of these teams are starting to mimic baseball? Because I think you have to have the people yeah. in place and the department 
to pull it off to be successful. Well, and, and how many owners who own other businesses and things like that are going to look at these coaches? For a long time, they've looked at these coaches and said, hey, you know football. Yeah. I couldn't name three route combinations myself. You're the football guy. You do the football. But I think they're more savvy now about how baseball is and hockey to a large extent. I know that they're getting player tracking going in hockey and they're probably going to increase analytics departments that are already growing. And the Seattle team is hiring a bunch of people I was gonna say, yeah. to, to be in their analytics departments. And so you're getting every team. And really, it's it's not about, well, they didn't play the game or they didn't coach the game and so forth. They're supposed to work in conjunction. Right. They're supposed to have... Just for example, the Minnesota Wild analytics people say don't trade for Victor Rask. Victor Rask, yeah. Which they did. The guy's so irrelevant I couldn't remember his name. But yeah, don't trade for that guy. Yep. And then when you do it, we can look back and say, well, everything pointed against that man. You know, and so that's where they're supposed to be working in conjunction. But Baltimore and clearly clearly bulked up in that department because yes. John Harbaugh's been there since what, two thousand eight or something. So he's an older school coach as far as tenure goes but they made the right moves to get the people to go to john harbaugh and be like john here's why it makes sense and john harbaugh said eureka you're right it makes sense right and uh what's interesting about harbaugh's background is that he was a special teams guy and i wonder if there's some more openness to that and things like that because special teams coaches sort of focus on bigger picture a lot of times they're the ones who handle uh, like they're supposed to tell the head coach what's going on with situation and give advice on that sort of thing. Like prefer. So, yeah. The yeah. Dallas game here, he coached and did it at clock management, a great job. Right. So a lot of times those guys have a good vision for that and focus on it a lot where head coaches are so focused on the game plan, every single detail and putting out fires throughout the week. When you think about it, this is where a lot of people have made the video game argument that if I'm a Madden player, I've had many more simulations than Mike Zimmer's coach games and and so I have a good sense for how it should go just by playing video games and getting it right over and over again. But that's that's kind of a different point to make. I'm not accusing Zimmer of being bad at it. And that's why this relationship, I think, is still okay or on decent ground because they just won 10 games. They just won a playoff game. It's not like he botched a clock management situation in the playoffs and they lost. It's the vision for the future right. with this head coach. Mm-hmm. And if you're going forward, are you saying because this is a guy that we don't know has a contract extension at this point. At this point, I'm going under the assumption that he does not have a contract extension yet. And if that's the case, and they're trying to decide how long do we want to lock into Mike Zimmer, Mm -hmm. then you're asking, is he going to go where we want him to go? If this uh, COO, Andrew Miller, has anything to say about it, where they're going to go is more data. Where the general manager clearly wants to go is more data. And sometimes Rick will make your head spin talking about it with 25,000 different elements or whatever I quoted in the piece. I think 2,500 different things that run through an algorithm and so forth. And if that's where everybody else wants to go and the head coach says, you know what? We really do need to re-sign Dalvin Cook and hand off more. Like, But but I found in your story, I thought the lead quote that you used from Mike in Indianapolis was really intriguing because coaches don't say that just for fun. He didn't say, I mean, the only way to look at that quote or hear that quote is it's a shot at here's what I think we should do. And analytics are really cute and Rick really likes them, but there's no way to interpret that quote and be like, well, I bet he and Rick laughed about this one. 
You right. can't. I can't yeah. get there. I can't yeah. say, oh, you know what? They had a couple of glasses of wine the night before and were hitting each other on the shoulder being analytics. Yeah. <laughs> no, Mike said that for a purpose, and I think he expressly said that to say, this is how I like to do things. And that was... Which is what you're saying about down the road. The thing that I kept hearing was it just doesn't seem like he wants to go along in the same direction, where if you're in their analytics department, you are valued pretty highly by Rick Spielman, and he's breaking ties by using your data, and you're spending every day diving deep into stuff, and then you have a head coach who you send him an email, and then he makes fun of you at the Combine two years later, two years later. Like, he was so offended, and I'm really looking forward to talking to him again, because I'm sure he won't be offended by my article, but... I mean, two years later, he's yep. still holding a grudge against someone trying to say he might have been wrong about something through the numbers. And I just that that doesn't quite match up. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of extension they do sign him to or if they have this concern that I was told about in the front office. Yep. Okay. You want to talk some Detroit Lions football? Well, Matt, Who Pat- does Matt Patricia football. There's there's a transition for you. Uh, Jeff Rieger from 97 won the ticket in Detroit. Detroit Lions football, Jeff, your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, are you guys just trying to feel better about yourself? Is that what it is? Yeah, that like, could, hey, that could be what? it, yeah. <laughs> it's a Thursday. Let's talk to someone in Detroit to realize how great our city is. You got the Twins. <laughs> you got the Vikings. I mean, even the T-Wolves aren't as bad as the Pistons. So, <laughs> congratulations. I mean, even Minnesota football probably is going to beat Michigan football this year because B.J. Fleck has wow. it going. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good times over here in Detroit. Although you you, uh, oh. you do have a vice president candidate in Barry Sanders. <laughs> That's a deep internet I reference. Say, I hope people understand what I'm talking about. Yes, of course, Garth Brooks did a concert at Ford Field where Barry did not play. He played at the Pontiac Silverdome, but still. And Garth wore a Barry Sanders jersey, and everybody, apparently some people, I'm not exactly sure who, thought it was Bernie Sanders. Mm. And hit for his 2020 campaign. Like, I'm not exactly sure who I feel worse for. The people that thought it was Bernie Sanders or the people that think you get the coronavirus from drinking Corona. Oh, I mean, yeah. I don't get it. Yeah, it is quite I'm testing that, that one, Jeff. I can confirm you don't get it from drinking Corona. <laughs> Just put the lime in. It's very safe. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out this to you, Jeff. The way we've been talking about the team there in Detroit on our show is it has the potential to be a bit of a sleeping giant because it just matches up with other teams that go worst to first, where you draft high, your quarterback got hurt the year before, you've been down for a little while, you draft high a few times, you got money to spend in free agency, and then all of a sudden, oh my gosh, no one saw this team coming. But also Matt Patricia is your coach, so I don't know how to feel. (laughs) Well, you pretty much nailed it. I mean, (laughs) only in Detroit. Do you have two guys, Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia, that have proven that they can't do the job, one over four years, the other over two years, and yet they get to be brought back because the Ford family is probably too cheap to buy out the contract <laughs> for both men? That would be like $30 bucks because both guys have three years left on their deal. A lot of people think they can be the Niners. I don't think so. I'm not exactly sure where what start with the defense, which of course is Matt Patricia's baby. He's a rocket scientist, like literally a rocket scientist, although he should stick to the rockets and not to defenses <laughs> because he's no good at that. But they're more than likely going to trade Darius Slay, who is their best defensive player. They have nobody on the defensive line. Snacks Harrison just retired. Ashawn Robinson probably goes bye bye. Trey Flowers is going to be there. And Deshaun Hand will be back, but he has been injured. And their linebackers are not good. They're slow. 
So that's already a bad defense. I'm not exactly sure unless you overpay a ton of free agents how that gets better. And then go look at the offense. You got a quarterback coming off two back injuries. Literally, you had a broken back probably from carrying the Lions all these years. <laughs> so I don't get it. They get the third overall pick in the draft. They're not going to draft Tua. I think they would actually pass on Chase Young if he fell to them. I don't see how they could be a Niners or, or another worse the first team. So, Jeff, why wouldn't they take Tua at three if they have to trade Stafford, trade him? Or I, what I would do is hang on to Stafford, start him, have Tua learn in 2020. This Colin and I have talked about this in depth. It makes so much damn sense. And if I'm the Vikings, Bears, or Packers, I'd be like, oh, no, they took Tua. This is going to potentially be some agony for us. Why wouldn't they explore or go down that path? It seems so logical to me. Don't you guys realize if something makes sense or if something's logical, then the Lions are definitely not going to do it? Like, come on. <laughs> Can Collar and I have the GM job? We'll, we'll move there right now and take the millions from the Fords to run this train wreck. Yeah, come on. I'll, I'll pick you up at the airport as long as those guys are gone. I, and I, I have a very nice car. It's very clean inside. Um, <laughs> so I, and I would agree with you guys. I mean, listen, the Matt Stafford era, and it's not all his fault by any means, but I think Colin Cowherd said at the back, why in God's name is there all this loyalty for a guy that hasn't done squat in 11 seasons? And it's not all Stafford's fault. I get it. With that being said, you guys are 100% right. We are at an all-time apathy for Lions fans. They have all-time hopelessness since maybe the Matt Millen era. And then the Fords announced that Patricia and Quinn are coming back. I think you could get all the fans back by drafting Tua Tungvaloa. And I agree with you. Stafford could play this year, trade him in the offseason. The cap hit is a little better. And then Tua takes over and see what you got. And this could be a transcendent quarterback. This could be a once-in-a-generation type guy. And the Lions won't take him because, A, the Fords have kind of thrown out a quasi-win-now mantra to Patricia and Quinn. And, B, they're more interested in taking defense. But, but I 100% agree with you. It makes perfect sense to do it. Unfortunately, they're not going to. You talk to anybody that knows anything about football, and they all say what you guys say. It makes perfect sense, but the Lions aren't going to do it. And it's unfortunate because three, four, five years from now, you'd be looking at a situation where you say to yourself, like, like Aaron Donald and so many other players, Randy Moss, like, what were we thinking? Talking with Jeff Rieger from 97.1 The Ticket, uh, who I now know has a very different car cleaning philosophy than me, because uh, <laughs> mine is a disaster. Just total disaster. Well, my I wife could... makes me clean it, guys. Oh, okay. let's, let's, well, don't give me too much credit. Yeah, uh, I could not be an Uber driver. I would get a very low rating for uh, the cleanliness. Um, well, so, Jeff, where does Matt Stafford stand? Because I know his wife put something on Instagram about uh, maybe she wouldn't mind going to L.A., and there were the rumors about trading him, but the salary kept thing doesn't quite match up if i'm matt stafford i'm probably at my wits end with this team though see and you hit the nail on the head the fact that we have to turn to kelly stafford (laughs) to get an update on what's going on in matt's life i mean to me it's just ridiculous with that being said matt stafford wants to be in detroit because he's always wanted to be in detroit and this is not a popular belief here in detroit you get the stafford lovers and you get the stafford i don't want to say haters that's such a strong word but you get the stafford non-believers and I, I, I picture myself as a non-believer and he's a guy that you look at any other quarterback you essentially run the organization he's got a power agent in Tom Condit at any point he could have said I want out he's had multiple OCs he's had multiple head coaches he's had zero winning and he's taken a lot of the abuse for something that maybe isn't all his fault 
Stafford is fine being the quarterback. Like that, that will that Manning has, that Brady has, that Elway had, like, like that, I hate to lose. It makes me sick. On my off day, I'm looking at my iPad. If I'm Brady, I'm breaking into the Gillette Stadium to, to people thought he's looking at porn, but he's breaking down plays. Whatever the case <laughs> is, Stafford doesn't have that. He just doesn't. He is a happy guy to be making $27 million a season. He's a very good quarterback. He's got massive amounts of talent. I don't think it kills him like it should with what the Fords have done. Like, like it should. You guys are 100% right. And I think about this often. If I was Matt Stafford, I would, I'd be so out of Detroit, but I don't think he's wired that way. I, I think he's okay with it. And, and I got 11 years of history to kind of prove that I think I'm right on this. Like, like why now? Why not in the past? Why? He doesn't, we, we don't think he likes Matt Patricia. So is, is that? finally the the straw that broke the camel's back i don't know but i I just don't believe stafford will ever demand his way out of detroit i I just don't believe it hey jeff one small thing just to clarify the timberwolves after they've won back to back games last night winning percentage 311 your pistons 317 so you win Mm -hmm. there we're gonna catch you but i'm gonna catch you but here's my question for you uh, yeah. And we've been, look, the Wolves have been crappy for a long time, so I'm not pulling rank. We ain't Boston. But what's it like there right now with a, <laughs> a Red Wings team that is really almost historically bad? The Pistons do, to your point, stink. The Lions are, again, have gone from being, hey, they're not too bad to not being good again. And the Tigers are expected to be terrible with Guardy. What's there to have hope about there? Well, just so you guys know, then Miguel Cabrera and Travis Demerit took uh, Garrett Cole beat four times today. So, so we got that. We're all watching spring training games thinking, oh, can't wait to see these guys. Somebody bang and, a and trash can for them? Uh, you know what? I think the Tigers, I don't know if you guys heard this, Rob Manford made it official yesterday. The Tigers are so bad that they're allowing them to bang the trash <laughs> Hey, that's not a bad they're, idea. They're, you know, I'm almost certain the Tigers were cheating, too. They just are so bad it didn't help them. No, you, you guys are dead on. I mean, it, it's brutal. I guess for the college basketball lovers, you got you got the tournament coming. Michigan is, is okay. Michigan State is really on the uptick. So if you love the college hoops, you got March Madness, which only lasts for three weeks, unfortunately. But it's bad. It, it's really bad. Think about this, guys. And I don't know if any other city has ever had this. And I actually just heard our afternoon drive guy talking about this. We could have the first overall pick in the uh, baseball is in the Pistons could have the first overall pick as well. The wings could have the first overall pick and the lions have the third overall pick. That is never, <laughs> I wouldn't think has happened ever in the history of professional sports in North America, but it could happen here in Detroit. So the answer to your question is we all just make babies. Because <laughs> nobody watches sports anymore. Everybody's having a kid. Wow. Uh, that went a direction I didn't expect it. Uh, I did, uh, I, I did five years of sports talk radio in Buffalo, so I feel you on this, but you have more bad sports. Like they only have two. <laughs> you have, you have more than that. Uh, last thing before we let you go, Jeff, and then you can, uh, I don't know, clean your car again because you're not watching sports. Um, give me a, <laughs> give me a hot quarterback take. Give me a hot offseason quarterback take. Who goes where? Who lands where? Who surprises us? What's the one you're banging the drum for? Like in the NFL, you mean you know, yeah. overall? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I, I think um, I think the Washington Redskins end up taking Tua at mm. two 
because I think Daniel Snyder falls in love with him, even though he claims he's in love with Dwayne Haskins. But but I, I think I have a little out-of-the-box take as well, and I think it's the right thing to do as well. I think if I'm the Saints, obviously Drew Brees is coming back, but I make sure Teddy Bridgewater is back too. If you got to overpay him, overpay him, because I don't believe that Drew Brees has what it takes to finish the season. And I believe in Teddy Bridgewater. I know you guys at one point believed in Teddy too. Yep. So, so I would say maybe that's my hot take, that Bridgewater stays in New Orleans and, and, and does something special. Hmm. What do you think? No, I haven't heard that one um, because it seems like there is a good amount of interest. But uh, I do agree with your take that this would be the year where Drew Brees starts to slip. Because, you know, last year, even at the end against the Vikings, he really can't throw the ball any more than 30 yards. So they have to have Taysom Hill throw it long for him. I'm not sure if that's really a model for success. So I like it. That's, no. that's one I haven't heard before. Well, not to mention, I mean, I think Brees and Brady are kind of in the same boat. Like, there's this all, where's Tom Brady going? But can Tom Brady still play football? Mm-hmm. Like, like, whoever, but I mean, unless he's going to Vegas for that sideshow and you got Gruden and, and you're going to have rabid fans. Other than Vegas, who's paying Tom Brady twenty twenty five million to play quarterback at age forty three? I just maybe I'm wrong about this one, but he seems like he's slipping as well. Yeah, I was actually talking about this earlier on the show that I would agree with Belichick if Belichick told him to go take a hike. Like it's probably just time to move on. Uh, Jeff Rieger from ninety seven won the ticket. Always a guy we love having on the show. Thanks for your time, Jeff, and uh, we hope you're. Draft picks work out. <laughs> well, or something works out. Feel better about yourself. Anything. That's what Detroit does. We make you all feel better about you guys. I guess. I mean, we got our own <laughs> problems. <laughs> yeah, I feel awful for you. All right, Jeff. Thanks for coming on, man. See you guys. Have a good day. Yep, for sure. Yeah, Detroit, I think Detroit's in hockey rough. they've got yeah. the right idea. Oh, totally. Just totally. Steve and totally you know, Stevie Wise, good. He knows exactly yeah, what he's he doing. So I do. actually admire being as awful as you could possibly be. Yeah, I agree. Let's uh, take a break. We'll come back, and uh, there is odds on where Tom Brady will go. Plus, a left tackle has hit the market. Is there any interest there? Let's discuss. And Al Michaels is out there too. Yeah, that's right. Well, let me get your take on that I when we return it. here. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Listen and win with the free Score North mobile app. This month, one lucky winner will win a $200 gift card to Best Buy just for having and using the Score North mobile app. All you have to do is register your app, listen to your favorite Score North content, and you could be a winner. Jonathan here with the Score North download. We'll use this download to remind you of a new podcast series we have here at Score North. We have a brand new golf show. It's called 10,000 Swings. It's with Brad Cole and David Brandstead, two golf geeks breaking down the latest in golf culture around Minnesota and the latest stories from the PGA Tour. You can find 10,000 Swings every Monday night at 7 p.m. right here on Score North on AM 1500 or on demand on Apple, Spotify, or the Score North mobile app. That'll be it for the Score North Down. We'll now go back to the final segment of the day of Purple Daily with Mackie and Judd with Rami coming up in just about 25 minutes time. Sage Rosenfels will be joining at 4.30 there. That's been your Score North Download. Now back to Purple Daily. Okay, back here on Purple Daily, Matthew Collar along with Judd Zolgad sitting here in our studios watching some high school hockey, which is uh, nice, the boys portion of the tournament. Um, always exciting to have that going on, so we got that. Would you like to know who the odds makers are saying is the favorite for Tom Brady? Like, Which team is the favorite for him to land? I would love to. Can I take a guess at number one? 
I think you'll get it right. Because but go ahead. I believe we speculated about this a couple days ago, and there's there's more fun scenarios than this one. Tennessee Titans. No, they're not the favorite. The really? favorite is the New England Patriots for him to return. You know, I've so dismissed him. I will be so disappointed if he goes back. Yeah. And I'm going to be, I'm going to cry. That was a conversation earlier on the show. Is it a hot take to think that Tom Brady will go back to the Patriots? And I guess according to Vegas, it isn't. It is not a hot take. How about the fact that he and Bill sat down and according to the Boston Herald, it didn't go well? I'm not surprised it didn't go well. I think that if I'm Belichick, I say, I have a lot of work to do here to be a competitive team again. I need a year. I'm not going to be able to do this right away. And what you're going to do with us, Tom Brady, is probably get us 11 wins by not turning the ball over, playing a conservative, doing just enough to win. And that's nice. We could probably still win the AFC East with that. But you're going to take away a lot of money that I want to spend in free agency, potentially, to Mm -hmm. rebuild this. Mm -hmm. And I would love to look for my next quarterback. Belichick drafted two other quarterbacks who have started in the NFL, one in the Super Bowl, during the late Brady era. He's been thinking about this for a long time. Now he finally has the excuse to make it happen. I don't know if this is a hot take, but I will say, I think Bill Belichick has no interest in Tom Brady being his quarterback in 2020, and if it happens, it's only forced down his throat by Bob Kraft. I don't think think Bill Belichick has been planning for the day that Brady waves goodbye for a while. I think part of it might yeah. be um, might be personal and selfish, but part of it's what you just said, which is, hold on a second here. We need to hit a reset at some point in time. And, you know, the fact that the one thing I guess you couldn't completely foresee 10 years ago was Tom Brady being like, oh, no, I'm going to come back at 43. Yeah, yeah. When, uh, let's see, 2014 is when Jimmy Garoppolo was taken, and yep. we would have suspected then that it was getting to the end. He would have Correct. been 37 or 38 years old. You would have always bet on someone that old not going to two or three more Super Bowls since then. But now we've reached a point where it's crossed. Brady is no longer the best quarterback in the NFL. He still was until last year, really. I mean, they didn't play super well in the Super Bowl, but did enough to win that game. And all along was great. He won a shootout against Patrick Mahomes on the road to get into the Super Bowl. He was playing spectacularly. But if you can't give him the supporting cast that's incredible, he's probably not going to be that great. What you got this year is more likely than not what you're going to get from him. If some other team could give him a better supporting cast, yep. like Tennessee, say they franchise tag Derrick Henry, they've got the receivers, they've got a great offensive line, they've got a really good defense, or you're San Francisco, who is in the odds here. I think that this is smokescreen with San Francisco being brought up, but you never do know. It is great fun. If yeah, I agree. I it, love that. If, if it's Tennessee or San Francisco, you could be in the Super Bowl next year with Tom Brady. Yes. At this point in his career, he just needs more than what they can give him. He can't make a bunch of guys into superstars anymore. And I think in Belichick's mind, he thinks, I need to, in fact, in Belichick's mind, I'm guessing he thought to himself two years ago, it it would have been nice if I could have to transition to Garoppolo. But in Bob Kraft's mind, he thinks, oh my God, what if Brady goes to the Titans and does what you just said, and now he's in the Super Bowl and and I'm not. And Belichick's thinking, bring it on. And Kraft's thinking, but I can't lose my Tommy. It's, It's really interesting. In uh, Bob Kraft, even in the Drew Bledsoe E60 thing, which if you haven't seen is really good, uh, Drew Bledsoe sits down with 
one of the guys who uses their sad voice really well on ESPN. I don't know. Jeremy Shep, possibly. Jeremy so, Shep, or who's the guy that does the college football? Tom Rinaldi? Oh, Tom Rinaldi always sounds like he's about to burst. I've never seen them in the same room together. <laughs> and then I, I think chicken. <laughs> Jeremy Shep. I yep. think it was Jeremy Shep. Okay. So they sit down uh, over bottles of wine because that's what Drew Bledsoe does now is he's got his own wine brand. And I think Bob Kraft likes the wine, too. They I, Sure does. And so they... <laughs> Had that they had this long interview and they interviewed Bob Kraft for it. And he talked about how incredibly hard it was for him to move on from Drew Bledsoe to Tom Brady and how frustrated even he was with Belichick when Belichick made that call to have Tom Brady as his quarterback and not Drew Bledsoe. Mm -hmm. Of course, they go win the Super Bowl, so Belichick nailed it. But even then, of course, Bledsoe's going to feel like that shouldn't have happened. But even Robert Kraft was like, are you sure? Are you really sure? Because this is my guy. And I would imagine those conversations are about the same with Kraft and Belichick. Are you sure if you don't want to bring him back? And if you're Belichick, you might just take his bluff. If he's trying to bluff to up your price, mm-hmm. which I don't know why you would do if you're Tom Brady. You're doing okay with money, I've heard. I don't think this has zero to do it's at got, this it's point. It's got to be ego. I want to be the highest paid or whatever. Well, and I think that Brady, in his mind, when they traded Garoppolo, don't you think that Tom thought that he had won the power struggle with Bill at that point? Yeah. And yep. now it's all coming back to very much power struggles. Did you win the power? power? To me, with guys like Belichick and Brady, the power struggle, and this is rare for people, but in their case, the power struggle, I think, at this point in their life, far more important than the cash. I think that's right. When it comes to those two, there seems to be this ego pushing back and because forth. Because who is who is responsible? Now they both are. I know that. But this go I'll always go back to the amazing thing that you heard about the Chicago Bulls in the nineties was Jerry Krause of all people couldn't wait for Jordan to leave so that Jerry Krause could prove <laughs> that he could put together this great basketball team. And Michael was a nice piece, but he would just get replaced. That was a storyline. Yeah, right. And, and I believe it. And a lot of Coaches are this way. Coaches or general managers or Mm -hmm. maybe even owners that I am the reason we won, not just my player. And I'll tell you, a guy that I covered in uh, Buffalo was Dan Bilesma. And I got the sense from Dan Bilesma that he couldn't stand that everyone said the only reason he had a Stanley Cup was Sidney Crosby. I have a newsflash for you. The only reason you have a Stanley Cup is because of Sidney Crosby. He's the greatest hockey player of all time, or top three, depending on what era you're talking about. Yep. That's why you won. And guess what? Some other schmo has won two more with that guy. Yep. And I'm sure it's not Mike Sullivan. And you so, got to the Buffalo Sabres, and guess what you didn't do? You didn't win, win a Stanley Cup. Thing. Right. So, you know. Anyway, but the, those egos come into play. Yep. And Belichick might like it just as much. Brady might love to go win somewhere else, and Belichick might love to prove that it wasn't just Brady, because Brady and cheating are always going to be the yeah buts with him for the greatest coach of all time. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, even though every person who ever wins anything that's a coach always has great players. I mean, even well, and Belichick is is not only a great coach, but there's no doubt now he is a great personnel guy. Oh, no question. He about is an it. elite. The he is one that, of the yes. He's one of the greatest personnel evaluators of, of all time. And part of that is because, to his credit, he's the anti-Zim, right? He's the guy that would call you it, and you're like, "I'm coming off a great year, Bill. What's up with my next contract?" You'd be like, hey, "We just traded you." Yeah, like Jamie Collins yeah. out of nowhere in the and middle of the season. And then he got him back. That's you're what just I not that valuable to us. See ya. And then Wright brought him back. Um, speaking of that, the Philadelphia Eagles are making a shrewd move. 
by moving on from very old tackle Jason Peters. Now, the thing about Jason Peters is that he's still very good at football. Uh, last year, he was one of the better left tackles in the NFL when he played. Right. Would there be any interest in your mind from the Vikings at moving on from Riley Reef and contacting Mr. Jason Peters, knowing that he's probably only playing 10 games? No, because of that. I can't do that. Yeah. I can't do that because it seemed like it was a weekly thing during the course of this past season. Was he going to play? Yeah. And often he didn't. Now, I love the guy. Great player in his prime for sure and still a very effective player. I don't think that I could do that because those six, uh, six games or so he can't play, what am I doing? Rashad Hill at left tackle? He's a free agent. I, I don't even know if he's okay. coming back. I would just like some more certainty But you there. could draft someone. You could get Jason Peters yeah. on a huge two-year contract that you could get out of I don't think I want to sign one. a guy to as big a contract as Jason Peters is probably going to want for him not to play six games. That would be the issue for me is how much is it going to be. If Jason Peters wanted to only look at teams that could win their divisions and potentially was focusing more on where do I want to finish my career, could I win, then you might be able to talk him into a two-year deal that you could get out of after one and has a reasonable cap hit. Right now, the cap hit for Riley Reef this year is a an elite left tackle cap hit. It's in that top ten range. That has to be to restructured, if nothing else. Yeah, that's going to have to no be no question redone. about it. There's no question about it. But if you cut him, you can earn probably half what you'd have to pay Jason Peters just in the cap space from cutting Riley Reef, and then you draft one and you play way better for ten games. Your rookie gets some experience. Yeah, you know what, Matthew? I'm so torn here because I'm sure the Vikings are thinking along the lines of, can we get enough talent because we think that that we could still win a Super Bowl? And I'm so far off that page now, personally. And me too. I'm so far gone from that because Jason Peters' name last March or the year before that would have excited me no end. I'd be like, yeah, do that. He's, But I am so personally, I've so turned the page on, is this a championship team as currently constructed, that I'm actually in the thought process of what can you do to get pieces that are certainly not going to make a disaster in 2020, but just as, or more importantly, give you a chance again starting in 2021 to get back into the window where you're contending for a title. I mean, the soft rebuild. It would be do enough to fill your spots, but don't lock yourself into bad situations, and then go into the draft thinking about 2021 and make your decision at quarterback at some point. Is it going to be Kirk or is it not? But have your focus on, we can win the division. If the Lions are the Lions... If the Packers regress, if the Bears continue to be the Bears, Andy Dalton shouldn't really scare you. That oh no, they're going to go thirteen yeah. three with Andy Dalton. Probably not. They'd probably go nine and seven again. Right. You can win that division. You could be in the playoffs. You can win a playoff game. Mm-hmm. If you did that as your plan, fill the holes in free agency. Try to be good enough to win a playoff game and shoot for 2021 as the year where you really can be a Super Bowl contender again. I think that's a smart play. That's not throwing next year down the drain. And if you sign someone like Jason Peters to a very short-term deal, that's doing that. And I can't make those moves based on, I've seen too much to think that a short-term sugar-high quick fix is actually going to work. The only thing about this that I like, though, is that it isn't quite that. That would be if you signed a 30-something-year-old player to a five-year deal that locked you in for three or four. Then you're actually hurting yourself down the road. If it's a essential one-year deal that's cap-finagled to two... Oh, if he takes the right deal, yeah. I just don't know. Then he, it might be worth he's it. Still good, he's still good enough when healthy that I'm curious what he would want. Yeah. It, it, listen, 
If Jason Peters comes here on my terms, I take him. If Everson Griffin comes back to me is like, mm-hmm. I will sign whatever contract you want, I'd do that too. If Kirk Cousins came and said, I'll do an extension, it's going to be so team-friendly, your head will spin around, Judd, I'd do that. <laughs> I just don't think any of these people are going to do yeah, those things. I think you're right. I think Griffin's going to say, I got a bunch of sacks last year, I'm 32, and I just hit the market. Eureka, I can get paid. Yep. And the Vikings, and Zim will put up a fight, and the rest of the people in Egan will be like, Mike, he's leaving. Let me throw out three trades I made up because there were trades the last two days in the NFL. So you never know. Okay. What's going to happen is I'm going to be gone the first three days of next week and the Vikings will make a trade. I was going to say, what, it's are you, what are you doing? It is absolute how, guarantee. How can you leave? What's going to happen is... Are you in town? I am flying out of here oh, Friday no. night. I know. Friday night. Oh, no. Friday news dump. Oh. They will make one of these trades. What are you doing? And I won't be on until next Thursday. So that'll be the worst. Here's my made-up trades. Since... Jacksonville and Denver pulled one off, yep. and then Carolina and San Diego, San Di- yeah, not San Diego, Los Angeles, which was an odd one for me. I'm not sure what Russell Carolina is doing there, really. Former but target of the Vikings, he was. Yeah, that didn't work out. Uh, here's my made-up no trades: Anthony Barr traded to the New York Giants for a second-round pick. How do you feel about it? Second-round pick for Anthony Barr. This would be one where Mike would explode. Yeah, I uh, I love it. Well, wait, wait. Unless you, unless you can tell me a different plan for Barr, but if 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 this is status quo, yes, it's a lot in my mind about Eric Wilson. Eric Wilson's good, and Anthony Barr's cap hit is just through the roof for a guy that does what he does. I like him as a player. I think he's very good. Yes, but I don't think he's fourteen million dollars or thirteen million dollars in the cap. Good. Not as currently used. Not with your cap situation. If you were Indianapolis. I would look at it and say, well, there's no problem here. Second round pick, yes, I do. You're not Indianapolis. You don't have any cap space. Right. Trade number two, 25th overall, trading back with Atlanta for their two seconds, 15 and 23 in the second round. I'll explain. Your odds when it comes to the draft of selecting someone at 25 versus at 50 are not much different. It's the best place to move down all the time. Yes. So you end up with three second-round picks yes. that have almost the same odds as your first-round pick. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, history will show that Rick has made something close to this trade before. I think they've made this trade a couple of times before. It might have been in different incarnations. but He does love trading down. He does love to trade down. Um, I'd rather go up, and I guess my question at 25 is, can I get a player who's going to help me immediately? But I would be, I don't love this trade. I love trade one. I would be open to it, given the potential scenarios, though. It's certainly not ridiculous. Here's my reasoning on it, and I don't know if Atlanta would give you both of their seconds, but people fall in love with some prospect. Oh, Makai Becton is giant. He's falling. We have to go get him, right? If they were willing to do that, you have so many needs, and the Vikings have hit on a lot of second-round picks. Dalvin Cook, Mackenzie Alexander, Eric Kendricks, they, they've they been good. Irv Smith, Irv they've Smith been good him. in the second round mm-hmm. because it's often where you get players that don't have the mega high ceilings but are more likely to click. And so if you got a corner, a safety, a tackle in the second round, mm-hmm. I mean, you're filling a lot more spots than you are at 25 and just with your second round pick. Given the current status of things with this team, that trade makes more sense now than it has in a while. Okay, now my craziest trade. All right. Daniil Hunter in 25 for number two. You've been trying to work Daniil Hunter trades <laughs> since the football was put in the closet. And I think Daniil Hunter season. is amazing. Yeah, I know. It's just, you would have to trade. Hold in order on. to get to two, you have to trade your most valuable thing. He's their most valuable thing. Daniil, so, so I can get the second overall pick. Second overall pick, you got to trade your first and Daniil Hunter. So I can get Tua. 
Yep. So if he's cleared the hurdles, I'm almost certainly going to get Tua. Yeah. Uh, it's a quarterback. The answer is yes. Obviously yes to me. I mean, Daniil Hunter goes in the list of the 10 or 15 players that you would non-quarterback want in the NFL. One of the 15, 20 best non-quarterback players in the entire NFL. Mm-hmm. But the thing is with the quarterbacks, they're just so much more valuable than all the non-quarterback players. And you already have developed edge rushers consistently with this defensive line coach and this system well, of drafting. And this team, worked. And this team has not had a franchise quarterback since Fran Tarkington. They've not had a true franchise QB. That's 19. He was drafted in 61, traded in, I believe, 67, and came back here and played until 78, okay? So it's been since 1978 that this team really has... Now, Dante had a nice little run for a while, but his knee blew up, and that doesn't count because he didn't ultimately prove to be a franchise quarterback. If you're telling me I can take a shot at a franchise quarterback, I'm willing to trade almost anyone to take that shot. Well, And that's sort of the the uh, experiment that's being done here. Is, I don't think you're, are you willing to trade your best player? I don't think somebody does valuable. That. I don't think you can pull that trade off because I don't think, although it's Washington, so who knows, right? I think Washington has the second pick. If Washington doesn't like Tua, would you rather take what you think Chase Young could be in the best case scenario just given to you? I mean, I might if I'm Washington. If I believe in Dwayne Haskins, which I doubt they do, but if they believe in Dwayne Haskins as their quarterback, yep. and you're offering me a first-rounder where I can get somebody else to help my rebuild, yep. and the best-case scenario of Chase Young that's only 25 years old, I would do it if I was Washington. Washington's so goofy, I can't decide what they're going to do now. And wasn't wasn't uh, Dwayne Haskins Daniel Snyder's guy? Didn't he mandate that pick? So is he going to... He's so ego-driven. Is he going to give up on his guy after one year for Tua? I don't know he how much, probably should. I don't know how much he understands about the value of this. I would suspect that even Daniel Snyder could get his head around this. That if he's wrong about Dwayne Haskins, it's all over for you. You're going to lose a lot, and your rebuild is going to be stunted for years. But because he owns the team, he doesn't care. Yeah, that's what makes him so such a wild card. The it's other, so weird. The other argument for this would be put Dwayne Haskins right in there, and if he's bad, leave him out there and get. Trevor Lawrence. I like your idea about the Dolphins passing on quarterbacks all together and yep. telling Brian Flores you are going to lose, and then getting Trevor Lawrence next year. Jaguars are going to be tough the, to beat. The top Trevor five Lawrence. picks, but by the way, at some point in time, it's going to go haywire. It's it's as compelling. It's going to get nuts. It, it will be as compelling as who's going to be in the playoffs for who's going to be last next year for Trevor Lawrence. All right, fun show today. Uh, tomorrow, Myron Metcalf will be on. We'll uh, wrap up the week here. And hopefully some more news in the NFL on Purple Daily. Mackie and Judd and Rami coming up next. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 2. I could see beyond the Black Hills and the way they called for exploration. I could feel the air, the way it paints against skin and fills hungry lungs. I could hear the way the water ran for miles and the way the bison grazed, the way our boots meet the earth as we step past expected. I could imagine my time in South Dakota. And I wish to go back, because there's so much South Dakota, so little time. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey, or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar, or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. 
Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.